Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Someday Somewhere by Lindsay Champion. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. This podcast is made possible by Nouvelle ELA Teaching Resources. Find secondary ELA resources to engage and inspire, like an intro to Shakespeare Escape Room. N-O-U-V-E-L-L-E-E-L-A. Something new. Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. And we have a special guest today. All of our guests are special, of course, but this person is emerging from the shadows to talk music with us today. Usually, she's our producer extraordinaire, but she's also an amazing violinist and music teacher, Leela Hobbs. Hi, Leela! Hi! Yay, Leela! And today it is a music book, so that's why we have rounded up some amazing, talented folks to talk about amazing, talented folks. In Lindsay Champion's debut novel, Someday Somewhere, we get a split perspective of a serendipitous meeting and a whirlwind romance of Ben and Dominique. Ben is a violinist at Brighton Conservatory in New York City, and Dominique is a high school student, dancer, and cinema buff from New Jersey. She pretends to be a student at New York University's Tisch School of the Arts to create reasons to be in the city and to run into Ben. As the novel unfolds, we watch Dom train back and forth from New Jersey as she wonders if Ben will ever discover the truth about her. All right, Leela, you're the one who spotted this book on the upcoming releases list. What did you expect going into it? So I, like obviously have a background in learning to play violin. And I played in a very competitive youth orchestra that had a lot of kids who kind of had similar experiences to Ben. And so I was just like excited to read a book that talked about this perspective of trying to perform at a very, very high level as a teenager while attempting to balance family life, social life, academics, and just like being a well-rounded person. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And for me, I was really drawn into this New York setting. I went to NYU for my first year of college, and I thought it was going to be like hyper-nostalgic, New York awesomeness. They run around, and it's a Hollywood movie sort of thing. Mm, Yeah. Amanda, what did you think? So this book... It's not a book that's going to really surprise anybody if you've read YA for any kind of length of time. You've got your your insta-love. They lock eyes and all of a sudden the world falls away. And you've got your one-note supporting best friend who just kind of like helps things move along. You know, all of these very well-worn YA tropes uh, kind of come together. And like there are a few fresh things that are present in this novel. But overall, just uh, just a little flat for me. Fine, just fine. Yeah, fine, just fine. So let's start off with the characters and minor characters. So we have Dominique, who, like I said, high school student, lives in New Jersey, is from a poor family, and her mother owns a laundromat and is trying to make this business work and support their family and definitely is struggling. And from the beginning, we know that Dom likes dance but has had to quit dance because she has to help her mom at the laundromat and so that's sort of the the dom perspective ben's perspective is that he's in this hyper competitive music environment like leela said 
and then they meet. I thought that all the Ben stuff was done really well. I really liked her descriptions of music and especially his like constantly practicing not only when he was holding the violin that was super true to life for me just how he would like walk around the city and be like practicing his fingerings I was like oh that's a thing I have done so much of my life yeah for sure so there's this one line in the novel when Ben's parents or someone tells him like you need to take a break like you don't want to get burned out and Ben says no because if I take a break someone else is practicing Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. And in that hyper-competitive world, that's really real. Like, I remember I was a music major in college. Uh, my best friend was a clarinet player, still is a clarinet player, is a professional clarinet player. Um, and there was another girl in our school who, over the summer, put a poster up in her bedroom that said, John Haynes is practicing right now. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it hurts. As like, her, as, like, her motivation to go practice. <laughs> I really loved, I'm like the non-music person in this podcast episode right now, but I really loved when Ben was talking about music and he says at one point, yeah, I know it's all about balance. I say, even though it isn't, but sometimes I think that thing astounding musicians have the ability to take a two dimensional page and make the notes bloom and roar is something you can't teach. And I just loved when Lindsay Champion was like describing music through Ben, like that was the best part of the novel for me. Yeah, I liked that. I also really liked that she colored Ben's character in this way where he like loved music and when he was practicing this duet, he could not fathom that he was the one bringing down the duet. (laughs) He was like, no, it must have been the other person. Like, I'm flawless if I didn't have to deal with this problem. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, I've been that person. (laughs) But it was like flashback inducing. It was like, oh, oh God, I hope I was never that person. Oh, but you were. I was definitely, <laughs> you that, were definitely person. that person. And then there's this moment where somebody asks Ben how much he's practicing, and he lies and says less than he's practicing in order for him not to come across as like super obsessive and intense. Have you ever lied about how much you were practicing? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Leela? No. No? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Maybe that makes me more annoying, though. I think that does make me more annoying, that I would never deflate the amount that I practiced. I would just be like, oh, yeah, I practiced this for seven hours. Well, it's like, a, you know, building up your talent kind of thing, right? Like, oh, I only had to practice this for about three hours because <laughs> of the eight hours that you hacked away at it. No, I feel that. I think I was just, like, deeply obnoxious as a teenager. <laughs> As a teenager, she said. (laughs) Not anymore. (laughs) Never again. Cured. All right. So we also, in addition to Someday Somewhere, brought in some other book recommendations for books that feature creative types. And this does not only mean musicians, but also dancers and theater geeks and pretty much the whole gamut. So we do want to hit on some of those and what we thought that those books brought to the table And you can definitely check out all of these recommendations in our show notes. Amanda, do you want to go first? Sure. So one of the books that I think is a really nice portrayal of a classical musician is If I Stay, which is a pretty famous book. But I really like the way that Mia's cello playing is like such a part of her in like a non-destructive way, which I think is like not often the way 
music is portrayed in YA novels. Like, and Mia, like, it's clearly something that enriches her life, that, like, makes her feel whole. And I really like that part of her, like, whole characterization. I agree. And I love how she starts out trying things out and testing the cello. And it's really when her parents see her true commitment to it that she, you know, gets to upgrade to the real deal non-rental have your own cello that you then have to figure out how to transport everywhere. Right. How about you, Danielle? So I just finished Under a Painted Sky by Stacey Lee, who is one of the authors that we discovered in The Radical Element. And one of the things that I loved in Under a Painted Sky was that the main character, Samantha, was a violinist and then went on the Oregon Trail. And at one moment, she gets disconnected from her violin like I don't want to spoil it for you but there's a moment where she doesn't have her violin and yet she still yearns for her violin and we see it in all of her thoughts and all of her actions and I really wish that Dominique in Someday Somewhere had yearned for her dance in the same way like I kind of felt like she swept it under the rug and I wanted to see more of that like pervasive passion yeah I mean, obviously the reason given in the novel that she quit dance was because it was unaffordable, but it definitely didn't seem like a big part of her character, like as a person, Yeah. Um, which was a little strange to me. And definitely like when an art or an instrument is a huge part of your life, you cannot escape it. Like I can't even count all the times that I have been leaving my house and I just grab my violin and then I make it out to my car and I'm like, Why? <laughs> Did I grab my violin? Like I'm going to brunch with my friends. I don't need just in my case. violin. Like it's an extra yeah. appendage. At that it point. really is. It just is an extension of your body. And I definitely did not super get that sense from Dom. I think uh, a book that had a really good uh, main character who is a dancer who like it was such a huge part of her life uh, was this book called Not Otherwise Specified by Hannah Moskowitz. Uh, the main character, Etta, she was just like, so deep in with dancing and music and it just threaded through everything that that she did in her life like she was super aware of like her body's movement like just when she was out hanging out with her friends and things like that I just wish we had more of that from Dom it becomes almost like a worldview right the thing that you love it shapes your worldview yeah yeah a book that I enjoyed as a non-musician music listener was Kids Like Us by Hilary Ryle. And in this book, we have Martin, who is on the autism spectrum. And one of the things that he does is he listens to music to kind of control his emotions and either bring them to a place of calmness or likewise to bring himself out of a place of depression. And I really loved that book's portrayal of a passion for music from a non-musician. And one of the things I did like about Someday Somewhere was Ben and Dominique's bonding over jazz. They talk about jazz a lot and it kind of plays into this old Hollywood feel they're trying to achieve in the novel. But one of the things that Lindsay Champion does in the book is that Ben and Dom each make a playlist for the other, which I thought was totally cute. And that means that you, as the reader, can go listen to some of their favorite songs. I really liked that. Yeah, I thought that was a really cool aspect. Yeah, that was cute. 
So one thing I wish there was a little more of in YA is uh, I want to see more teenagers who are musicians or are dancers or whatever, but they're not like hell bent on going to Juilliard. You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Just like mm-hmm. satisfied to be average, like an average musician, average dancer, not huge ambitions for that for life, but like enjoying it or like want to grow up and be a band director or an orchestra teacher because that's what I wanted yeah. to be. That's what a lot of people wanted to be. Yeah, like performance is not the end all be all of having a music career. Yeah, like I say this as a music teacher, but like <laughs> like the fundamental purpose of music is connection and you just have all of these like solo tortured artists when they're 17 and I'm just like mm-hmm. some people just want to go be in marching band like <laughs> you know some people just want to play as a hobby. Yes. Um like definitely a lot of my students that I currently teach are not going to go on to do music professionally, but they can certainly play violin for the rest of their lives and play in their church or play with their friends or play with their family and like enjoy it for the rest of their life. But it doesn't have to be their profession or the all consuming aspect of their life. Right. So when I was in high school, I was super into drama. I adored that. I loved drama and musical theater. And I did choir on the side kind of as a means to an end in musical theater. And when I applied to New York University, I applied with the intention of going for performance. And then I decided that I would much rather do something else and be an English teacher who still kept drama in her life as a hobby. So like, that's where I am. And that's how I got there. And it really was just this acceptance that I could be passionate about something without going into performance. Yeah. Unison, yeah, five points. (laughs) And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of Someday Somewhere and dig a little deeper. Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Danielle, what's your brew of choice this week? Well, I was going to talk about Under a Painted Sky by Stacey Lee, but I already mentioned that. So hooray! Instead, um, I want to talk about Eliza and Her Monsters by Francesca Zappia. This book is phenomenal. Strongly recommended. So Eliza is an introvert. She has drawn this webcomic that becomes super famous. But as a creator, she's anonymous, and even though the webcomic is popular at her school and around the world, no one knows who she is. She enjoys that because she's an introvert, and then when those things come kind of under threat, when a fan moves to her school, drama ensues. It's awesome. There are panels of the webcomic in the novel, and we get a lot of mythos from the novel. The characters are amazing and heartfelt and I love them so much and I want to reread this book today and you should read it too. Eliza and Her Monsters by Francesca Zeppia. Excellent. Thank you, Danielle. Lila, what about you? So my thing that I like a latte is not really a thing or a book, (laughs) but it's a bunch of videos that you can look up on YouTube of babies wearing glasses for the first time. (laughs) I mean, it's exactly what the title says. It's just 
kids from like, I don't know, anywhere from like nine months to two years seeing like their family's faces or their mom's face for the first time. And they just smile and just burst into laughter and they're so joyful and it just warms my like dark heart. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me feel good about the world. Yay. That sounds delightful. Thank you, Leela. How about you, Amanda? So for me, Danielle and I just started playing this game called The Witness. Uh, We're playing it on PlayStation. It's also available on Steam. It's a puzzle game. Uh, where you are on an island and the whole island is a puzzle box. Uh, it's very much like Mist. if you ever enjoyed that game. Uh, it's really beautiful, bright colors. It's got a lot of different areas with different feels in them to go and explore, and it's just really been a great game. I definitely recommend it. It's The Witness. And you can't die in it. And you can't die. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll return to our discussion on Someday Somewhere. The rest of the show may contain spoilers, so if you're leaving us here, please keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be back after this quick break. Hey, y'all, it's Danielle. Do you want to support this podcast and check out a book we recommended today? Audible is offering YA Cafe listeners a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. You can check out the audiobook for If I Stay by Gail Foreman, narrated by Kirsten Potter. I just love her earnest, slightly sarcastic tone that really brings Mia's narrative to life. And the thing I really love about audiobooks, I can take them anywhere, in the car, to the grocery store, or on a walk with Padfoot. It's just one more way to get more books in my day. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash YA Cafe. Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on Someday Somewhere by Lindsay Champion. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! Go. All right. So, let's get real. This book was not the bright, shining star we hoped it would be. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I think that the biggest problem with the book was that it should have just been a book from Ben's perspective. Yes, exactly. That's what I thought. I'm like, Lindsay Champion clearly favored Ben's perspective. He became the main character. Dom became completely unimportant to the novel. Like, her stuff didn't matter. It wasn't as interesting. So why not just write a single perspective and have it be Ben? Yeah, and like, clearly, because... The author also went to Tish and was a dance major, not a music major, but like clearly she understands like trying to succeed at the arts at a very high level. Like she could kind of get inside Ben's head, but I don't think she had any like relation to trying to get inside the head of like a poor high school student from New Jersey. Right. And so it was just mm, not great. That's that's exactly what I felt. I felt that. Dom was just boring and Lindsay Champion's love of dance didn't even come through because it didn't seem like Dom loved dance, even though she used to do it. She didn't even like dance her way down the sidewalk and all she really cared about with dance as far as the book was concerned was that when she put on her athletic wear to go see Ben, she's like, ah, ha ha. The last time I wore this, I was dancing. Yeah. I, uh, I was really disappointed because in the beginning, I thought that Dom was just going to be a much like more important part of the novel. But I felt like she really was just a bridge to Ben. And I felt like Cass, in particular, 
his only role was to give Dom his birthday money to go and like <laughs> stalk this random violin player she saw this one time and then be like, go to him, you know, like it was just depressing. And she didn't have any other friends. Not a single friend was named for Dom other than Cass. Like, not even just a random person passing her a pen in math or something. Right. And she spent all this time on the train. And I was like, girl, what are you doing? Like, get on with your life in your city. Like, don't waste your life on the train to New York. Which is, like, not a thing that people do all the time. Like, the only thing that we hear about her life or her neighborhood is really negative stuff. Like, we don't hear about any female friends at her school. Um, And really, the biggest background we get from her neighborhood is, like, creepy dudes that, like, accost her on the sidewalk. Yeah. Yeah. And halfway through the novel, here's the big one. Halfway through the novel, we discover that Dom is biracial and her mom's white and her father is from Ecuador and he's absent doesn't pay child support, doesn't do anything. So that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it was very uh, stereotypish. Yeah. I I think it really relied on a stereotype. And also, like, the super hardworking single mom out there by herself with no support. uh, How There's this whole bit in the novel about how her mom wouldn't have any boyfriends because of Dom. I don't know if it struck anybody else that way, but to me it was just very, like, her mom's sole purpose in life was to be a hard worker for her kid and not have any like personal interests or uh, desires or feelings. Right. And as the child of a single mother, I can tell you it wasn't like that for me. (laughs) I mean, but it shouldn't be like that. Right. A single mom should have desires and pursuits and feelings besides her kid. Yeah. And Like, to go back to the race thing, we find out that Dom's father, who is absent, is from Ecuador, and her mother is white. And this comes out in a restaurant where a random lady asks Dom, like, if she has a napkin, and she asks her in Spanish. And Dom doesn't speak Spanish, and she expresses a lot of kind of remorse that she doesn't speak Spanish, a little bit of frustration because it always happens to her that people in her neighborhood speak Spanish to her, and then kind of anxiety about not having two halves to her cultural identity when she feels that she should. Um, I will say that I found some of um, Ben's descriptions of her kind of gross. Um, I don't know if that struck anyone else. But, like, Ben's, like, internal monologue about meeting Dominique was very, like, oh, she has, like, a big old butt. And, like, oh, she's so curvy. and yeah, booty. Uh, <laughs> like, it was just, like, unnecessarily... Objectifying? Yeah! I agree. And he definitely spends a lot of time describing her voice, um, which actually makes a lot of sense for a musician, I think, for a super obsessed, intense musician who sees his world through the violin. Yeah, her describing her voice is fine. There was too much like describing her booty and like describing her cleavage for me. It was just like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's also a teenage guy, though. Also didn't love it, but so 
one sense that I got from the book is that the author was definitely like very into the arts and like had definitely studied at a very high level and like understood the pressure that really came through her descriptions of practicing and it consuming your whole life. I thought her description of performing was very accurate. Like I remember, what? oh yeah, when I played a concerto, there was like a lot going on in my brain. I was like, what is that flute doing? Why is that happening? I screwed that note up. Ah, this is going pretty well. Like, yeah. Another thing I really liked about this novel was the treatment of Ben's manic episode at the end. It does come out that one of the reasons why he's so obsessed with the violin and intense in this moment is that he is you know, suffering a mental health issue of mania at that moment. One of the things he does is he keeps wanting to retune his E string and he like replaces it with gold strings. And like, I didn't even know there were gold strings, (laughs) but I could imagine, even though, you know, I don't have this background. I was like, oh man, how many gold strings have you ruined trying to like get the right one and that's a lot of money and I really liked that it came out at the end that these moments were symptomatic of an untreated undiagnosed mental health concern. I thought that was done really well too and that's part of why I felt kind of cheated by the end of the novel. So the book basically ends with this manic episode which was done really well but then it goes to just a list of prescriptions for lithium and other medications for Ben. And then it ends with Dom's perspective of spotting Ben across the subway platform and he's carrying a saxophone now. And that just felt like not enough. Like when we had just like ridden this crazy wave with Ben, like as the character that we really dug into more and then to have it end with Dom and not seeing his evolution So that was pretty dissatisfying for me. Yeah, and I felt like seeing him at the end with the saxophone, like maybe that was a nod to his love of jazz, but it also felt like him switching to an easier instrument, which was like a weird note for me. Wait, like you're saying the saxophone is easier than the violin because I'm here to fight you. No, 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 I'm not (laughs) saying, no, I'm not saying that it is. I felt like that was what the author was implying. Okay. Was that like all Ben needed to do was just play saxophone and play jazz and be happy and not play classical violin. I mean, I disagree. Like, I think that it was a head nod to the jazz, like you said. But I I don't, yeah, but it was like jazz would make him happier and classical music was making him That's how I read it too, Leela. Like, I didn't, yeah, I agree. I didn't love it because I feel like it plays into the notion that like classical music is for squares and jazz music is totally chilled out. And like, you don't have to practice hard or stress out to play jazz, which is like not true at all. Like (laughs) to be a great jazz musician, like you definitely have to practice and know your instrument. Um, And so it just felt like the solution to Ben's mania was to pick an easier, less stressful form of music. And uh, It just was strange to me. Yeah, I mean, the transition to another instrument, and I guess I missed the fact that it was a jazz instrument. Like, I know that saxophone's for jazz, right? Like, I get it. But, like, (laughs) um, I thought that the transition was more about the violin potentially, like, becoming a crutch for him to fall back into his, like, self-destructive habits and not because 
the violin is for neurotic people, but just because that is what he had expressed his neuroses through. So one thing that I did love about the novel was the ending of the love story, uh, quote unquote love story between Dom and Ben. Um, I definitely was reading it and was like, this is nauseating. Like, this is not what happens between real people. Um, And so like, hashtag spoilers, I did really appreciate the fact that they didn't end up together. Yeah. Yeah. And she wasn't the thing that cured his mania. Right. Like, I was super nervous that that's where the book was going. Um, And like, you know, even though obviously we had some different feelings about the end of Ben's story, um, I think it was definitely a good thing that they didn't end up together and that the novel did not prescribe love as the panacea for all like emotional ailments or like mental ailments. Um, I thought that that was an excellent choice on behalf of the author. um, And I was just really like pleasantly surprised that the novel took that turn. Yeah, I agree. Me too. That's our show for today, friends. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying this show, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Happy reading.